You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't it lovely to be in an air-conditioned room? Wonderful. Hope you're all surviving the heat. In fact, enjoying the, the heat while we have it. So, I wonder this morning, how many of us have ever regretted anything that we've said? Or if we've been hurt by the words of another? I'm fairly certain that if you have a pulse, that your answer to both of these questions will have been a firm yes. One of my earliest memories is being taught this rhyme by my teacher when I was just a really small girl in the first class at school, about five years old, and she made us learn and recite this. See if anybody else recognises it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Anybody recognise that? can see a few nods there. It would be wonderful if it were true. However, whilst damaging negative words may not inflict physical wounds that can be seen, they can inflict, as we know, much deeper mental and emotional pain that many people suffer the effects of for much longer than a physical wound takes to heal. On the other hand, words can have the opposite effect as well. Take a minute just to think of a positive role model in your life, somebody who has inspired you or has encouraged you. Have a think about how they did this. The chances are, at some point, they will have spoken life-giving, affirming words that have impacted you and may even have helped bring healing from the pain of negative words that have been spoken over you. So, as we said earlier, over the summer, we've been looking together at the book of Proverbs, which has much to say on the topic of words and our use of them. In fact, I found out this week, if you were to read a chapter of Proverbs a day for a week, starting with Proverbs 15 and ending with chapter 21, you'd come across no less than 25 verses relating to what comes out of our mouths. We'll reference some of these today. Not all of them you'll be pleased to know. That would take forever. But the main one I'd like to focus on is found in Proverbs 18, verse 21. And in the NIV, it says this. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message translation puts the same verse like this, and I like this one. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So the title of our talk today is The Power of Words, and we're going to be looking at three main themes. We're going to look at the fact that words are powerful. We're going to see how what we say and don't say matters. And we're going to think about guarding our heart. So throughout the Bible, not just in the book of Proverbs, there is a clear message that words are powerful. And we can see this right from the beginning in Genesis 1, when each different aspect of creation happens when God speaks, when he says the word. It says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, 
and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We learn here that before God spoke, the earth was formless and empty. It is at his word that creation comes into being, that things come to life, that things that weren't before uh, come to be. The chapter obviously continues with many more and God said statements until God creates man and woman in his image and that includes our ability to speak. Now, it's interesting fact that animals, non-humans, don't have a true language like humans, although any of you who have pets know they can communicate through sounds and gestures and even understand human words and sentences. But what makes human language so unique is that it allows us to communicate with each other with infinite variety. In this room even, there'll be people who speak many, many different languages and you can hold conversations on so many different levels. The power to use words or language is a powerful gift from God, unique to humans, who the Bible says are made in the image of God. And our words are powerful too, with the ability to bring death or life, as we'll see in more depth during the course of this talk. So if we move to the New Testament, the Apostle John begins his gospel echoing the words from the creation story in Genesis in the beginning and highlighting the fact that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. It says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. He goes on to say a little bit later in verse 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now Jesus, in his time on earth, fully human yet fully God, knew the power and importance of words, and he used them carefully and powerfully. He knew when to speak and when not to speak. At his command, people were healed and set free. Storms were stilled, demons were cast out, and the dead were raised to life. Jesus knew when and how to speak, but he also was silent at times, as often as he chose to be before his accusers. He also studied and knew the scriptures, God's words, from infancy, which we get a brief glimpse into in that story when he's found in a temple at, age, at the age of just 12, astounding the rabbis with his knowledge. When tempted by Satan, he quoted the scriptures, the written word of God. After fasting 40 days and nights, Matthew 4, verses 3 to 4 tells us, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I find it interesting here that Satan, understanding the power of God's word, tries to get Jesus to misuse his power and authority by using words. You might remember as well, going back to the Genesis story, before the fall, he also tempted Adam and Eve, getting them to doubt God's word by saying, did God really say? 
And we find today that the enemy has no new tricks. He lies, he deceives, he accuses, using words that bring death, not life. Revelation 12:11 tells us that Satan is defeated, he's overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of the world, and the word of their testimony. That is our testimony as believers that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, testifying to what he has done for us. God's word is powerful and the ultimate authority. And that's why it is so vital that we read it, study it, and apply it to our lives. It says here in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is powerful. However, the words we speak also have power, which leads me to my second point today. What we say and what we don't say matters. And we're going to look at three aspects of this. What we say about God matters. What we say about ourselves matters. And what we say about others matters. So first of all, let's have a look at why what we say about God matters. Romans 10, verses 9 to 10, tells us that our salvation depends on us making a right confession with our mouths about who Jesus is. It says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is one of the reasons that we give lots of space for stories and testimonies about how people have found faith in Jesus, especially before people are baptised, if you've been to one of our baptismal services, which is essentially a public declaration, which involves our mouths and our speech, of a person's faith in Jesus. When we come together every week as a church family, as we've done so this morning, we begin with a time of sung worship, praising God for who he is and all he has done. And we do this largely using words. The Bible tells us that Jesus, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And these praises are generally sung or spoken. Our prayers, intercessions and confessions to God are often in the form of words. And many of the spiritual gifts God gives involve words like tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, evangelism, telling people about Jesus, preaching and teaching. I believe there is power in the proclamation of God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Proclaiming the truth about who God is and what he has done allows for faith to arise. A few weeks ago, I spoke during our emotion series about how the words spoken over us can shape our beliefs, and then, in turn, how our beliefs shape our emotions. It's available on the podcast if you missed it, because we don't get time to go into all of that today. But proclaiming God's word is a powerful way that enables the Holy Spirit to transform and renew our minds as we speak the truth, his truth, over our lives. This leads me to my second point, that what we say about ourselves matters. Romans 3.12 is an often quoted, well-known verse that says this. 
So by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, thinking of ourselves too highly is never attractive, is it? Being arrogant or proud is certainly not a good character trait. And the book of Proverbs has several verses that speak about this, including the one where we get the commonly used phrase, pride comes before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18, for those of you who want to look it up. However, I want to talk about something a little bit different today, because in my experience as Christians, it's more common for us to go to the opposite extreme. I often hear people, and I've been guilty of this myself, making self-deprecating remarks about ourselves or putting ourselves down. And we seem to think that's okay. We can even mistakenly label that as humility. I can really relate to this because I used to feel uncomfortable when somebody paid me a compliment or said something affirming about me. And I would often respond by either saying something nice back to them or saying something to counter or modify it. Or I'd be quietly thinking in my head, if they really knew me, they wouldn't think that. I don't know if anybody else relates to that. But speaking genuine words of encouragement and affirmation to one another is entirely biblical. And if, like me, you struggle with receiving compliments or affirming words, it might be worth digging a little bit deeper to see what the root issue is. For me, it was realizing I had identity issues finding it difficult to see myself as God or others saw me. I had quite a poor self-esteem, and as a result, as a result of many different experiences in my life. Having a healthy self-esteem in the light of our identity in Jesus and who he has created us to be and called us to be is not selfish or prideful, as many people can fall into the trap of thinking. If Paul is saying here, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, he is also saying, do not think of yourself less highly than you ought. Got some interesting sound effects today. <laughs> Truly humble people understand their identity in Jesus and appreciate the gifts and talents they have been given. But they don't use this to esteem themselves above others. They have a right judgment of themselves. They're secure in their identity. False humility, on the other hand, is often pridefulness in disguise, when we intentionally devalue ourselves or our contributions in an attempt to appear humble. There are, of course, many people, including, I'm sure, people who are sitting in this room today who really believe the negative things they say about themselves. Sometimes these false beliefs, which are in fact lies, can stem from words spoken about us or over us from early childhood. Words like, you are not good enough, you're, you are unlovable, you're ugly, you deserve to be punished, you'll never succeed, you'll never make anything of yourself, and other such phrases. And such words left unchecked and rehearsed in our mind over and over again, which negative words often can be, unless we just put a little bit of a block or filter in there, create belief systems which turn, in turn create internal prisons of guilt and shame. And guilt and shame are different even though they often go hand in hand. Really simple difference, guilt is feeling bad about something that you've done or think you've done. 
Shame is feeling bad about who you are. And the good news is that Jesus came to set us free from both. As many of you know, a group of us recently attended Dreaming the Impossible, DTI, our national youth conference for 12 to 18-year-olds. We're just about recovered team, aren't we, and youth? We had the privilege of hearing some fantastic speakers, including Pete Hughes from King's Cross Church in London. And he did a talk entitled, You Are Free and You Are Loved. And he shared a story of a time he was preaching in a church, talking honestly and vulnerably about how Jesus had set him free from the guilt and shame he'd carried throughout his childhood, teenagers, and into adulthood, which he discovered was rooted in the fact that he'd struggled with bedwetting until the age of 12. He got to the end of the service, and an elderly lady in her 80s approached Pete and asked if she could share her story and pray with him. She went on to tell him how at the age of eight, her parents, who in a work capacity, they were diplomats or something similar, had to visit the home of some very important people. And as they didn't have anyone to look after her, she had to go with them. She remembered being impressed by the mansion she entered, that they had servants and even a butler. And whilst her parents were speaking with the important people, she'd become desperate to go to the toilet, but afraid to interrupt and get into trouble. She hadn't dared ask anyone where it was or if she could go. She held on for as long as she could, but the meeting went on and on and on until finally she could hold on no longer. She was so embarrassed when she saw a puddle forming on the floor beneath her. One of the servants, noticing what had happened and rushing over to clean it up, looked this little eight-year-old in the eye with utter contempt and said to her, you are a disgusting little girl. And speaking through floods of tears, she said to Pete Hughes, I've realized today that for nearly 80 years, this is the voice I've heard about myself every day. Six words spoken by a stranger in a moment of anger had become this dear lady's identity for most of her life, for eight decades. Pete was able to pray with her and watch as she began to receive healing as Jesus' words of truth were spoken over her, replacing the lie she had believed for so many years. You are free and you are loved. So this story goes on to highlight very clearly my third point, what we say about others matters. We've already mentioned about how the words of others can strongly influence what we believe and say about others. What others say about us or to us is largely outside of our control. However, we can have some measure of control of how we use words in terms of how we speak about others and also how we respond to their words about us. As I said earlier, the book of Proverbs contains loads of verses about our use of words, in particular, what we say about others. And many of them relate to topics such as anger, and Sarah Coop did a fantastic talk a couple of weeks ago on that, so do catch up on the podcast. I'm not going to repeat that. Um, but there are many other themes that arise about our use of words to others in Proverbs, which we're going to take a brief look at now. One of the main ones is this, gossip. So let's have a look at what Proverbs has to say about gossip. 
The Hebrew word translated gossip in the Old Testament is defined as one who reveals secrets, one who goes about as a talebearer or a scandal monger. A gossiper is a person who has privileged information about people and proceeds to reveal that information to those who have no business to know it. And gossip is distinguished from sharing information in two years. Number one, it's the intent when you're gossiping. Gossipers quite often have the goal of building themselves up by making others look bad and exalting themselves as some kind of repositories of knowledge. Secondly, the type of information shared. Gossipers speak of the faults and failings of others or reveal potentially embarrassing or shameful details regarding the lives of others without their knowledge or approval. And even if they mean no harm, it is still gossip. Now, there are several verses about gossip in the book of Proverbs. Here are three of them. Proverbs 11:13. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 16:28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. And Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost part. Now, the world loves gossip, doesn't it? You just have to look at the front covers displayed on magazines and newspaper stands in the shops. And social media is full of it, too. Even our television news reports at peak times can contain it. For example, for some for some weeks, with all of the things that are happening in the world that could be reported on, the Wagatha Christie case between Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy was reported on daily. The Johnny Depp trial also got extensive daily coverage. Why? Because it pulls in the punters. Our secular culture is obsessed with celebrity and hearing about what is going on in their lives, often negative stuff, and it's big business and it makes lots of money. Now, it would be wonderful if I could stand here and say that gossip doesn't happen in the church as well. But that, unfortunately, is as untrue today as it was in the early church, where Paul, Timothy, and James all reference gossip, or the wrong use of the tongue, as being a major issue. So many of us will have experienced the hurt of gossip, and very likely will have also gossiped about others, whether intentionally or unintentionally. In fact, harm is rarely intended in that we don't usually deliberately set out to hurt one another. But the result of gossip is always broken trust and hurt feelings. Often, if we're honest, we gossip because we like to be in the know. We like to show we're in the know. The excuse sometimes can be, oh, I thought you already knew. Or, oh, I know you know about this, so I'd like to talk to you about it. Other conversations where gossip alarm bells should start to ring are, I'm a bit concerned about somebody, or I'm not meant to tell anybody, but, and then go on to share the information. Now, there are times when passing on information is absolutely necessary. For example, when a child or adult discloses abuse. In those cases, we should never promise to keep what they're telling us to ourselves in the first place. And so often, when we do want to talk about people and situations, it is out of genuine love and concern. However, if that conversation will betray a confidence unnecessarily and without permission, 
or it says, it's saying things that we wouldn't say in that person's presence, or if we discover that if we're really honest, it's actually about showing that we're in the know about this more than anything else, we're probably wise to keep our mouth firmly shut. We shouldn't gossip, but equally, we shouldn't be willing to listen to it. Resist the temptation to swallow gossip, that juicy bit of information about another, like choice food, as it says in Proverbs 18. Related to gossip, the book of Proverbs also contains verses about slander, lying, and false testimony. Making a false spoken statement about someone causes immense pain, not only to the individual, but it can also affect everyone related to them. In worst case scenarios, it has potential to damage someone's reputation, marriage, job, wealth, and family. It says in Proverbs 25:18, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. And I like how the New Living Translation puts it, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Words are powerful. Using them without restraint or negatively is like walking around, dangerously wielding an axe or a sword. So we've clearly seen the negative impact words can have. However, the good news is that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Proverbs, and indeed the rest of the Bible, contains many verses about how our words can be used for good, not evil, to bring life, not death. So let's turn our attention to this. If we want to speak words that bring life, we need to make sure that we are guarding our hearts. What comes out of our mouths doesn't actually originate there. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus pinpoints the root of our words, good and bad, when he says to the Pharisees, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In another version, it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus says in Matthew 8, 15, 18, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. The writer of Proverbs was also aware that our words are essentially a heart issue. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, before anything else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If we want to be people who speak words of life, we need to guard our hearts. And that could be an entire sermon series in itself. But here are just a couple of thoughts as we close today. We need to be careful what we allow into our heart because what goes in will eventually come out. But we can't do this in our own strength. We need the help of the Holy Spirit who is the only one with the power to transform us and transform our hearts and our minds. I recently heard a Christian speaker say that after hearing a sermon on the power of words, she felt so convicted that she talked too much and that some of the things that came out of her mouth weren't good And she would often walk away from a conversation thinking, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, why on earth did you say that? I really relate to that. So after hearing this talk, 
she said to God something like this. And again, maybe you'll relate to this. I'm sure I've said this before too. From this day on, I'm going to be more careful with my words. In fact, I'm going to keep my mouth shut unless I can be sure I'm going to say the right thing. The trouble was, like all of us, she was never sure she was going to say the right thing. So she wouldn't say anything. She found herself just responding with ums and ahs in conversations. She also noticed that the quieter she was, because it was, wasn't her nature to be quiet, the more depressed she, fe- she felt. So she said to God, what is this? I'm trying to do what I think you want me to do. Why do I feel so depressed? Lovingly but clearly, she sends the Lord say to her, it's because you've shut your mouth, but nothing has changed on the inside. In other words, her heart had remained unchanged. She was trying to conform herself to the image of God. When the Romans 12 verse says, don't be conformed, be transformed by a total renewing, a total metamorphosis from one thing to another by the power of the Holy Spirit. She was never going to change what she thought or what she said by human effort. She needed to allow God to work in her heart and mind. We are changed by God's grace, not by our works or human effort. So what's our part? Surely we're meant to do something. Again, this could be a whole top, but here are a few brief pointers. Believe that God is changing and transforming you. As you walk with him, abide in him, yield to him. If you want God to change you and have asked him to change you, he will with all delight, not because he doesn't love you completely as you are now, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ, to become the people he created us to be. So allow him to do his job. And this can take time like all growth. If you have children, you'll know that you don't notice them growing all of the time because they're with you day by day. However, if you look back on a photo from six months ago, you'll see the transformation. And it's a little bit like that with us. Secondly, and I'm whizzing through because I'm conscious of time, study and speak God's word. We've talked earlier about the power of God's word, so I'm not going to repeat that. But our days are filled with words, guys, aren't they? Like John was alluding to earlier, from conversation, work, reading, TV, social media, you name it. So many distractions. So make sure in this word-soaked culture that you take time each day to fill your hearts and minds with God's word. His word is truth and has the power to set free. Don't fill your hearts with the words of the world. Fill them with God's word and his words of life will flow out through you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't a one-time event, as I hope you're all aware here, but a posture we need to adopt daily. Make it your prayer as you wake up and as you go to bed and several times during the day, if you're like me, if you get filled and leak a lot. The more of him we're filled with, the less of us will come out of our mouths. Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so many of these instructions involve words, don't they? Being filled with the Holy Spirit has a direct impact on our speech. Lastly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. In this world where words are often used so negatively, I firmly believe that God wants to pour out his gifts upon his church, many of which involve our words and our tongue to transform the hearts and lives around us with his truth and freedom. And we're instructed to eagerly desire them, especially prophecy which we're told is for people's speaking, for people's strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So to close, in Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, Paul sums it up like this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. May we have lives, live, live our lives mindful of the power of words. And we'll just end with the verse that we started with from Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Or words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.